Chapter 3, Part 3 of the Works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume 10. Ingersoll's Opening Address to the Jury in the Second Star Root Trial, Part 3 of 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. I believe when I stopped, the principal conspirators were substantially broke. The head and front was out sixteen or eighteen thousand dollars, and the other two men ten thousand dollars each. Now, a contract was made, and I propose to prove that contract in the course of this trial. When that contract comes to be shown, it will be about this. That on the 16th day of August, 1878, H. M. Vale, John R. Minor, John M. Peck, and John W. Dorsey made an agreement. That agreement made a partnership and we will show that a partnership was formed by and between Minor, Bale, Peck and Dorsey on the 16th day of August, 1878. We will show by the articles of that partnership that H. M. Bale was made treasurer, and that all the other partners agreed, by suitable powers of attorney, to put the collection of all the money from the government absolutely in his hands. When he got the money, he agreed, first to pay all the subcontractors, second the expenses necessary and incident to the proper conduct of the business, third to divide the profits remaining among the parties as provided in that contract. The profits were to be divided as follows. From routes in Indian Territory, Kansas, Nebraska and Dakota to H. M. Vale, one-third to John R. Minor, one-sixth, to John M. Peck, one-sixth, and to John W. Dorsey, one-third. From roots in Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, Idaho, Washington Territory, Oregon, Nevada, and California, to H. M. Vale, one-third, to John R. Minor, one-third, and to John M. Peck, one-third. Before any division of profits was to be made, the sums which before that time had been advanced were to be paid to the parties, so advancing such sums, and if the profits were not sufficient to repay the entire sums so advanced, they were to be paid from time to time during the existence of the life of these contracts. Now, you will find that such contract was made on the 16th day of August, 1878, and that Mr. H. M. Vale then took absolute and complete control of every one of these routes, and the only thing they asked of him was to repay the money that had been advanced, which, as you know, and as I have told you, was the sixteen or eighteen thousand dollars by S. W. Dorsey and ten thousand dollars by Peck, and about the same amount by John W. Dorsey. Now that is understood. At that time, certain papers were executed by all the parties. I told you that a law had been passed by virtue of which a man could make a subcontract and have that subcontract put on file, and thereupon he could be protected by the government. Now, 
when h m vale took these routes and they were to be managed by him sub-contracts were made by the other parties to mr vale and mr vale put those sub-contracts on record now you can see that they gave him the absolute and entire control of every route that was the condition i have explained to you the liability of a contractor he cannot put it off on a subcontractor he is the man primarily responsible to the government during the life of that contract and for six months thereafter whenever a contract is awarded to any person he is regarded as the original contractor and his name is kept upon the books of the department during the life of that contract no matter how many subcontracts may be made he is looked to primarily if there is a failure of a trip or if there is a failure of the service and he is responsible for its complete performance if there comes some great storm and the road is obstructed by snow or if the bridges are all carried away by flood and the subcontractor throws down the contract the original contractor must be ready to take it up and if he fail to do so he can be fined three times what he has received for each trip there is one case in one of these nineteen routes gentlemen where the fines exceeded the entire pay simply because they did not carry the mail according to the contract now then these parties finally made a settlement and they divided these routes they divided them they ceased to have any interest in common recollect that was in april eighteen seventy nine i want you to know it because this entire case depends on your knowing it this entire case gentlemen of the jury depends on your understanding it in april eighteen seventy nine mr vale having had possession of these routes for several months a division was made of them and all interest in common was at that moment severed at this time i say these routes were divided and all partnership and all partnership interest was absolutely destroyed i want to tell you why when dorsey returned from new mexico and found that his orders on the post office department had been superseded by subcontracts and that his collateral security was worthless he was indignant and at that time he and mr vale had a quarrel he did not think he had been properly treated and for that reason the moment he got the note at the german-american bank provided for the moment he induced mr vale to assume the payment of that note he gave evidence that he wanted a settlement not that he wanted the routes divided at that time because he did not dream of such a thing he wanted the settlement he wanted his money the arrangement that had been made with Mr. Vale was unknown to Mr. Dorsey, who at that time was in New Mexico, and, as I told you before, when he returned and found that the note that had been given to the German-American National Bank was protested, 
and found as i told you twice his collateral security was worthless he wanted a settlement he wanted his money refunded to him they said to him we haven't the money we have just got the stock really upon these roots we have just got under way and we cannot pay out the money very well said he what will you give me i want you all to see that this was a simple natural ordinary proceeding said he i want my money said vale to him we haven't the money but i will tell you what we will do we will divide the roots with you now recollect at that time that they had a hundred and thirty-four roots and had given some of them away at that time they agreed upon a division and they agreed how that division should be made we will prove the agreement to you the agreement was that mr bale should choose first taking the route he wanted he and minor being together at that time that mr dorsey should choose the next and mr minor should choose the third route and then that mr vale should choose the fourth stephen w dorsey the fifth route mr minor the sixth route mr vale the seventh route and so on they finally concluded it would be fair for mr vale to take the best route dorsey the next best and minor the next best and then again vale the best dorsey the next best and minor the next best and that that would be an average that would do justice to each in that way gentlemen they divided these routes there was no conspiracy nothing secret this division was made on the sixth day of april eighteen seventy nine not only after dorsey had gone out of the senate but after he had advanced this money after they had failed to repay him after he had failed to collect it and when he finally had said i must have some settlement that recognizes my claim gentlemen i want you to know that in this case that fact will be one of the great central facts on the sixth day of april eighteen seventy nine these routes were absolutely divided and after that they had nothing in common but you recollect that these routes were divided by chance mr vale chose the first route he might choose a route that had been bid off by peck or he might choose a route that had been bid off by john w dorsey stephen w dorsey took the next route and that might have been a route that had originally been awarded to his brother or to peck or to minor you can see how that is the division was here complete mr minor did not have the routes he had bid off and that had been given to him by the government mr vale came in and as mr vale was not an original bidder he took routes that had been awarded to minor and to peck and to john w dorsey by the division stephen w dorsey came into possession of routes that he never had bid off because he never bid for one 
consequently as he went along with those routes he needed and he had oft times the affidavit or the certificate of the original contractor that was a necessity otherwise the division could not have been carried out anything that arises from the necessity of the case does not tend to show any conspiracy or any illegal partnership i hope you understand perfectly that on the sixth day of april eighteen seventy nine these routes were divided and stephen w dorsey took his share because they at that time owed him between sixteen and eighteen thousand dollars what more did he do gentlemen he agreed at that time that he would refund to john w dorsey all the money he had expended that amount was about ten thousand dollars it was nine thousand and something he also agreed that he would refund to john m peck who is now dead the money he had expended which was between nine and ten thousand dollars he also agreed that he would take the roots for the money he had expended and that was between sixteen and eighteen thousand dollars so when these routes were turned over to him, they were taken in full of over $16,000 advanced by him, $10,000 that he was to give to his brother, and $10,000 that he was to give to John M. Peck, in the neighborhood of $38,000 in all. Speaking of the sum without interest, it amounted to $36,000 those routes were turned over to him gentlemen it was not done in secret when that division was made the law having provided no way for a to assign a contract to b that assignment had to be accomplished by a subcontract and consequently subcontracts had to be given to bail subcontracts to john r minor and subcontracts to s w dorsey and yet the original contractor was still held by the government when the subcontract was made it was for the entire amount of the pay not one dollar remaining for the original contractor now i want to state to you what we are going to prove about that after the division was made to show you the interest taken by the arch conspirator we will prove these facts that when the routes awarded to him by chance on the sixth day of april eighteen seventy nine had been awarded he left the city of washington in a few days and went to new mexico that he returned here on the fifteenth or sixteenth of may that he left again on the nineteenth of may and went to arkansas that from arkansas he went to new mexico and returned to washington on the twenty-first day of june and that on the twenty-seventh of june he left for new mexico the next time he visited washington was in july of the following year eighteen eighty he remained here one day left and returned again to witness the inauguration of general garfield from june twenty seventh eighteen seventy nine up to the present hour i challenge these gentlemen to show that stephen w dorsey ever wrote one line 
one word, one letter to any officer of the post office department. I challenge them to show that he ever took the slightest interest in any star route, or said one word to any human being about that business, except in explanation when attacked by the government or in the newspapers. Now, gentlemen, after the division of these routes, what did Stephen W. Dorsey do? This is a story, complicated, it may seem, perfectly plain when you understand the surroundings. It is a story necessary for you to know. After he got these routes, what did he do? Did he want them? Did he want to engage in carrying the mail of the United States? Was that his business? At that time he had a ranch in New Mexico where he was raising cattle. That was his business and is up to today. Did he want to stay here? Did he want to attend to these contracts? That is for you to determine. Did he want to enter into some partnership by which the government was to be fleeced? That is for you to say. I tell you he had another business. I tell you he had a ranch in New Mexico. I will prove it to you. And that ranch was of more importance to him than all the star routes in the United States. We will show you that at that time he could not have afforded to waste his time on these routes. That the business he was then engaged in was too profitable to waste any time in the mail business. Profitable as these gentlemen appear to think it was, what did he do? Just as soon as he could make the arrangement, he went to a gentleman living in Pennsylvania by the name of James W. Bosler. Who is Bosler? He is a man well acquainted with the business of contracting with the government. He has been in that business for years and years. He is a man of ample fortune, excellent reputation, considered by his friends and neighbours to be a gentleman and an honest man. He went to him. That we will show you. He said to Mr. Bosler, I have advanced money by the endorsement of a note. I am in a business that I do not understand. We have had to divide the routes in order for me to have security for my debt. I want to turn these routes over to you. I am not acquainted with the business of carrying the mail. I know absolutely nothing about it. I want you to take it. How did he turn it over? We will show you. He said to Mr. Bosler, you take all the routes that have been given to me, every one. You run them and you pay me back my money, and then we will divide the profit. Mr. Bosler said he was not very well acquainted with post office business, but he understood how to transact any ordinary business and he would take them. That is all there is to it. He took the routes, every one. I believe that he took absolute control within a few months of the sixth day of April. I do not know, but the warrants for the first quarter were paid or came in some way to S. W. Dorsey. But for the second quarter, Mr. Bosler took them, and from that day to this, Mr. Bosler has controlled those routes. He has carried every mail or has contracted with the man who did carry it. 
every solitary thing that has been done from that day to this has been done by him every dollar has been collected by mr bosler and every dollar has been dispersed by mr bosler and before we get through i'm going to tell you how all the routes that were given to mr s w dorsey came out let me tell you how they came out mr bosler has carried the mail paid the expenses kept the accounts and gentlemen i'm going to tell you how much he made out of this vast conspiracy that has convulsed that part of the moral world that has been hired and paid to be convulsed i'm going to tell you exactly how we came out on all this business i will give you the product of all this rascality of all this conspiracy of all the written and spoken lies i will tell you our joint profit on this entire business a business that promised to change the administration of this government a business about which reputations have been lost and no reputations will be won counting it all every dollar and taking into consideration the midnight meetings the whisperings in alleys the strange grips and signs that we have had to invent and practice you will wonder at the amount i will give it to you all mr bosler has kept the books has expended every dollar collected every warrant and i say to you today that the entire profit has been less than ten thousand dollars not enough to pay ten witnesses of the government our profits have not been one-fiftieth of the expense of the government in this prosecution not one-fiftieth and i say this gentleman knowing what i am saying it is charged by the government that these gentlemen were conspirators that they dragged the robes of office in the mire of rascality that they swore lies that they made false petitions that they forged the names of citizens that they did all this for the paltry profit of ten thousand dollars that is what we will show you and the moment this reform administration swept into power they cut down the service on these routes they not only did that but they refused to pay the month's extra pay and they committed all this villainy in the name of reform and do you know some of the meanest things in this world have been done in the name of reform they used to say that patriotism was the last refuge of a scoundrel i think reform is and whenever i hear a small politician talking about reform borrowing soap to wash his official hands with his mouth full and his memory glutted with the rascality of somebody else i begin to suspect him i begin to think that that gentleman is preparing to steal something so much then for the conspiracy up to this point up to the division of these routes in eighteen seventy nine now recollect it now the next charge that is made against us and it is a terrific one is that these defendants my clients have filled the post office department with petitions false petitions forged petitions I want to tell you here today that these gentlemen will never present any petitions upon any route upon which my clients are interested that they will claim was forged. Not one. 
have we not the right gentlemen to petition has not the humblest man in the united states a right to send a petition to congress has not the smallest man i will go further has not the meanest man the right to petition congress why it is considered one of our constitutional rights not only but a right back of the constitution to make known your grievances to the governing power every man always had a right to petition the king there is no government so absolutely devoid of the spirit of liberty that the meanest subject in it has not the right to express his opinion to the king to the czar upon what meat do these officers feed that they are grown so great that an ordinary citizen may not address a petition to one of them now i ask you if you were living in colorado and could get a mail once a week have you not the right to petition your member of congress to have it three times a week do you not know that every member of congress from every state every delegate from every territory is judged by his constituents by the standard of what he does by what he does for whom by what he does for them they send a man to congress to help them and they expect that man to get them a mail just as often as any other member of congress gets his people a mail do they not and if he cannot do that they will leave that young gentleman at home they will find another man it is the boast of a member of congress when he returns to his constituents i have done something for you you only had a mail here once a week i have got it four times a week gentlemen here is a river that was navigable i have got a custom-house here is a great district in which the united states holds a court and i have an appropriation for a court-house up will go the caps they will say he is the man we want to represent us next session but if he sneaks back and says gentlemen you do not need a courthouse you have mails often enough the reply of the people is and you have been to congress often enough that is nature and no matter how highly we are civilized when you scratch through the varnish you find a natural man now then every member of congress felt it was his duty his privilege and his leverage to have the mails established and when the people got up petitions he would endorse them he would look at the petitions there was the principal man you know in his town he would look down a little farther there was a fellow that had an idea of running against him he would look down a little farther and there was the man who presented his name at the last convention there is the fellow who subscribed three hundred dollars towards the expenses of the campaign that is enough he turns it right over i most earnestly recommend that this petition be granted so and so m c then he would put it in his coat pocket and he would march down to general brady with a smile on his face as broad as the horizon of his countenance 
he would just explain to the gentlemen that there are miners camps springing up all over that country towns growing in a night like mushrooms providence just throwing prosperity away in that valley that they have to have a daily mail then and there and he would show this petition in three weeks more there would come fifty others and it would be granted why even the counsel for the prosecution would have done the same strange as it may appear they would have done just the same maybe worse maybe better the post office officials might have granted more to them now i have always had the idea that it was one of my rights to sign a petition that no man in this country could grow so great that i had not the right just to hand the gentleman a paper with my opinion on it do you know i do not think anybody can get so big that an american citizen cannot send a letter to him if he pays the postage and in that letter he can give him his opinion there is no fraud about that not the slightest these men all out through the mountains men that went out there you know to hunt for silver and for gold live in little camps of not more than twenty or thirty maybe but they wanted to hear from home just as bad as though there had been five hundred in that very place and a fellow that had dug in the ground about eleven feet and had found some rock with a little stain on it and had had the stain assayed wanted to hear from home right off he stayed there and dreamed about fortune palaces pictures carriages statues and the whole future was simply an avenue of joy upon which he and his wife and the children would ride up and down he wanted to write a letter right off he wanted to tell the folks how he felt do you think that man would not sign a petition for another mail do you think that fellow would vote to send a stupid man to congress who could not get another mail he felt rich he was sleeping right over a hole that had millions in it and he had not much respect for a government that could not afford to send a millionaire a letter now mr bliss tells you that we forged petitions and in only a few moments as the court will remember he had the kindness to say that anybody in the world would sign a petition for anything and the question arises if people are so glad to sign petitions why should we forge their names do you not see that doctrine kind of swallows itself you certainly would not forge the name of a man to a note who was hunting you up to sign it and yet the doctrine of the government is that while the whole west rose en masse each man with a pen in his hand and inquiring for a petition these defendants deliberately went to work and forged it it won't do gentlemen oh my lord what a thing a little common sense is when you come to think about it when you come to place it before your mind this ends chapter three part three of five read by edward kirkby warwick england